service up the word.
sermon in Savior of the Nations come on page 12.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In 1968, there were dire predictions of a population bomb that would cause 100 to 200 million people a year to starve to death over the next 10 years. In 1970, there was a prediction that pollution particle clouds would block out the sun and make the air unbreathable by the mid-80s. Also in 1970, it was predicted that 75% of the Earth's species would die off by 1995. <clears throat> in 1975, there was a prediction of a global catastrophic ice age coming by the year 2000. And in the 80s, we had many predictions of nuclear holocaust. There have been numerous religious leaders over the years predicting the end of the world on a certain date. Jehovah's Witnesses predicted the end of the world in 1878, 1881, 1914, 1918, 1925, and 1975. December 12, 2012, according to the Mayan calendar, was going to be the last day. And Bible teacher Harold Camping predicted that the world would end on May or on September 6, 1994, and then May 21st, 2011, and then October 21st, 2011, and his end came on December 15th, 2013. Today we hear predictions of dire climate emergencies, financial meltdowns, all sorts of existential threats within the next 10 years. Well, well the, the next 10 years. The next 10 years. And after a while, all the end times alarmism starts to lose its urgency and just gets lost in all the background noise of life. We hear it and we think, ah, it's just another nut job trying to scare the world. And then here we find ourselves this morning at the beginning of the Advent season with another warning about the end times. <clears throat> Jesus says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. It's easy for this warning about the last day to also get lost in all of the warnings of the apocalyptic disasters. Is there anything about this warning that makes it different? As end time warnings go, this one's actually pretty frustrating because one thing the warning explicitly states is, no one knows when the time will come. 
This warning is different because it's not trying to predict when the end will come, only that the end is coming and you need to be ready. The other thing about this warning is that the source of this warning is reliable. Prior predictions made by this person have happened just as he said. So we can trust that this prediction is reliable. Three times Jesus said that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And it happened just as he said. Now he warns you, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Jesus said it, and you need to listen. It is the last days for Jesus before his arrest and crucifixion and resurrection. He's been teaching in the temple, and as he leaves the temple area with his disciples, Jesus teaches about the coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And indeed, the temple is destroyed by the Romans 40 years later in 70 AD. After leaving the temple area, they go and sit on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem and the temple. And Jesus teaches also about his return on the last day. The temple will be destroyed and the world will be destroyed. Stay ready. Our gospel reading for today, the end of it there, is a warning about the last day. Be on guard. Keep awake. And what does that mean? How do you stay on guard? How do you keep awake? How do you stay ready for Jesus' return? What do you need? Our epistle lesson today shows us the way. St. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The church in Corinth is not lacking in any gift. And what do they have? They have the grace of God given to them in Christ Jesus. You have the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. You are not lacking in any gift as you await the return of Christ on the last day. You, Christ church on earth, have the grace of God and that is to what you cling in order to remain ready for Jesus' return. In Christ, you are ready for Jesus' return. Stay ready. So if you were the devil, 
What strategy would you use to separate a follower of Jesus from Jesus? How would you get someone to give up on the grace of God in Christ Jesus? Perhaps you could sow division in the church. Get the fellow believers in Jesus to fight amongst themselves and let it grow into hatred. And the more mundane the issue, the better. Get them to be angry about the color of paint or carpet. Stir up trouble so that when the congregation gathers for worship, there's a sense of hostility so that everyone is thinking about that rather than thinking about the grace of God. Or, you could try to lead believers away from Jesus by appealing to their desire to be seen as wise in the eyes of the world. Get them to admire and listen to those who believe that the Bible is nothing but an old book written by men trying to oppress others. How can anyone be so stupid as to believe in the Bible and God and heaven and hell and judgment day? Everyone knows that this life is it. When you die, it's over. Besides, how could anyone as smart as you actually believe that God would sacrifice his own son on the cross in excruciating agony? That's, that's divine child abuse. That's so bloody and awful. How could you believe in a God like that? It's utter foolishness. How could you believe in a God that does things that you can't understand? And then there's the devil's tried and true method of pulling sheep away from their shepherd. Just, just get them to indulge in sexual immorality. Far too easy to let sexual immorality become your lifestyle. And when the choice is immorality or Jesus, so many will choose the immorality and give up on Jesus. And you might try the devil's strategy of getting individuals and churches to move Jesus out of being top priority and make him just kind of more of an afterthought. Get something else, anything else to become more important than Jesus. In churches, this is very effective when the new focus is something where you're serving others, like feeding the poor or providing low-income housing or medical care. Because it's good to serve others, but not if that becomes more important than Jesus. The devil has a lot of strategies to separate people from Jesus. But in this case of waiting for Jesus' return, there's one method that's more insidious and effective than the others. One of the most effective ways to get people to give up on Jesus over the long term is showing them how boring it is to be a Christian. Church is boring. The Bible is boring. Waiting for Jesus to return is boring. It's just the same thing over and over and over. 
It's a common excuse why people don't attend worship. They say, well, church is boring. And to be boring right now might be the the absolute worst sin that you can commit in our age of constant entertainment and social media scrolling. Church is boring. And there's some truth to this. Staying on guard is boring. As followers of Jesus, you are instructed to stay ready and it's your duty to gather together to receive the gifts of forgiveness and return thanks each week. And we do this over and over and over. It's what we do as Christians. And really, most of life is doing the same repetitive things over and over at at home, at work, at school. Doing what you've been given to do as a parent, as a child, as a worker, an employer, a student, a citizen. It's it's all pretty boring. Just so, being a follower of Jesus is not a promise of endless entertainment. Congregations have tried to answer the objection that church is boring by trying to make worship more entertaining by trying to figure out what it is that the people want. But what the people want is a constantly changing target, and it's really a fool's errand to try to determine what people think is entertaining this week. Worship is not supposed to be entertaining. Worship seals you as a child of God in the waters of holy baptism, as we'll get to see at late service with little David Pern. Worship returns you to your baptism each week in confession and absolution. Worship delivers to you Jesus' forgiveness in his words and in his body and blood. Worship brings to you the word of God in the readings and the liturgy and the hymns. Worship is Christ-centered and cross-focused and gives you the grace of God through Christ Jesus. And when the grace of God is delivered to you, worship is faithful and effective and meaningful, but not entertaining. Perhaps if we were not such boring people continually needing forgiveness of our sins, then we could move on to something else, but as long as we are a gathering of poor, miserable sinners, we need to keep on doing what we've been given to do. In our gospel reading today, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples about the destruction of the temple and his return on the last day. Six weeks later, Jesus ascends into heaven from that same area. And he promises to return one day in power and glory. He will return. Stay ready. It is very difficult to wait, not knowing how long you need to wait. But that is what you have been given to do by the Lord Jesus himself. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's difficult, but you have everything that you need during your time of waiting. You have the grace of God in Christ Jesus.
Stay ready. Amen. And now may the peace of God, the peace that is beyond understanding, keep your hearts and minds in true faith until our Lord Jesus returns in glory. Amen. We rise to confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.
gracious Lord, sustain your saints to the end as we enter another church here. Encourage the preachers of your word and all who hear, that the testimony about Christ may be confirmed among us as we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give boldness and faith to Matthew, our Synod President, Kevin, our District President, and Alan, our Circuit Visitor, and all pastors in Christ. Renew the faith and quicken the love of all Christians that we may be enriched in all speech and knowledge. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, grant your blessings to all marriages and keep all husbands and wives faithful to each other. Guide them as they care for the children entrusted to them. Bestow your loving care upon all children who have suffered abuse or neglect as well as all who open their homes to children in foster care. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty God, behold our nation and its leaders and protect our armed forces. Take them under your care and blessing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Visit us in your compassion, O Lord. Deliver the sick from their infirmity, the troubled from their affliction, and the grieving from their sorrow, and the dying from, the, from their fear. Especially we pray for Daniel, Kelly, Paul, Michelle and her husband Rob, Frank, Sharon, Patricia, Rowan, Emilio, Barb, Burl, Denise, Jenny, Brian, Morgan, Amanda, Diane, and Edith. May all who cry to you receive grace according to your will. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful Lord, your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, entered Jerusalem with shouts and cheers of joy. Grant that we, we may be stirred by the word and sacraments to rejoice in you now at his second advent. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious Father, you have made us glad to enter your presence to hear the good news of our Savior and receive your gifts. Preserve your church against all her enemies and lead us to walk in your ways and to follow your paths, that when Jesus returns in his glory, we may welcome him with glad hosannas. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
Give thanks to the Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, whose way John the Baptist prepared, proclaiming the promised Messiah, the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and calling sinners to repentance that they might escape from the wrath that revealed when he comes again in glory. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, everyone praising you and saying,
Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you in true faith and the life everlasting. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven.